0: At this time the children that go to nursery can go with sarah um, they're going to be changing this morning from looking at uh, catechisms to looking at the biggest story book biggest story bible storybook um, and really the first section they're going to work through is going to be that of in the beginning. And so excited about that because over the last year, we've spent time uh, catechizing the kids, which mainly really just means asking questions and giving answers, which is informative and helpful. Uh, but I think for a balanced uh, process for our kids to walk through in this form of discipleship is also to know the stories of Scripture. And so this storybook is different than some in the sense that what it does is that it takes the every genre of the Bible and he presents the, the big moments in the uh, arch of Salvet, salvetic history. And so excited for them to be starting that this morning to go throughout this next year or so. Uh, but outside of that, this morning, we're going to be continuing through our series uh, on the question of who is God. And I don't have a a title uh, or page or anything like that for you to follow other than this one here, but I do have, if you haven't seen them already, some scriptures printed off. Now I'm going to go ahead and say I've made a step forward while making a step backwards because I missed about five scriptures that I'm going to read that's not on your page and I apologize, Uh, but I do have a majority of them there, so I think that will be helpful. Um, And I may not even read some of the ones that's there And that's just kind of how preaching uh, this many verses goes Um, But I want to pray for us And then kind of walk through what we're going to be doing this morning Because I'm not going to go through the long, in-depth introduction As we have done every other week Except for to say this My prayer and my hope is that as we study this idea this morning And as we've done it in the previous seven sermons and prayerfully, two more sermons, depending on the arrival of Izzy, is that God would renew in each and every one of us a better understanding of who he is, which should lead us to know him, to pray to him, to worship him and serve him more faithfully in our personal lives, but also as a church. And I've said this weekly, and I'll say it again this morning. Uh, we're going to be looking at the faithfulness and the goodness and the patience aspect of who God is, okay? And in doing that, we're not going to exhaust each of these topics as far as they could go. So if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Uh, But let's pray together and we'll jump into it together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. We glorify you. we, We praise you because first and foremost, because you're holy and we're not. God, you created us and we sinned against you, and we're unworthy of a relationship with you, but in your son, Jesus, you offered salvation for us if we would simply believe and trust in him, and God, for us in the room that knows him in that way, God, we thank you for that, and we praise you for that. God, my prayer now is, as we look at the faithfulness of who you are and your goodness and how patient you are with all people, God, this would lead us to trust in you greater than any other moment in our lives. God, not because of some magical words that I will say, but God, as we expose the truth of who you are, that it would naturally cause us to move closer to you. And we pray this in your son's wonderful and great name. Amen. The sermon... um, layout is very, very simple. It is the God who is, and the first topic is faithful. The second topic is good. And the third topic is patient. let to say that again, in case you write down notes, it's the God who is faithful, good, and patient. And so as we look at this, this morning, what I want to begin with is looking at the God who is faithful, the God who is faithful. And just to do this, I'm going to read some verses before we get to how God demonstrates himself and even some pushback against God's faithfulness. Uh, I want to begin by just reading three sets of scripture that just kind of declare the faithfulness of God. And beginning in Deuteronomy verse 7, chapter 7, verse 9, it says, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps covenants and steadfast love with those whom he loves him and keeps his commandments to a thousand generations. Psalms 89.8, O oh Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O oh Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Then in Isaiah 11.5, righteousness shall be, the belt of your waist and faithfulness, the belt of your loins. The reason why I read this is really just so that we could begin, first and foremost, in just dwelt in scripture. But the reason why we have three different sets of scriptures here is because it gives us three different time periods of God's historical Salvetic process. In Deuteronomy verse seven. It's this moment in which God is speaking to uh, through Moses or to Moses, and He's commanding the people to know, therefore, that the Lord the God is God, and that He is a faithful God. But why is He faithful, and how does He declare His faithfulness here? He says, "Who keeps a covenant and steadfast love with those whom love Him and keep His commandments? How long?" To a thousand generations. Now, it's not literally a thousand generations, but this is a mer- metaphoric way of saying to all who believe and trust in him, all who obey his commandments and laws. Why is that significant? Because in Psalm eighty-nine eight, we see a moment when most likely David is writing this psalm, which is a... Second and renewed covenant in which God made with his people called the Davidic covenant. Well, he's talking about his faithfulness again. And then in Isaiah 11, we see as he's speaking of exile and things of that such, we see the declaring of God's faithfulness yet again. God is a God who is faithful to his people. He is a God who is faithful to his covenants. God is a God who takes care of and provides for his people. A.W. Pink, I've used that name a lot. I'm going to use him again a couple times this morning. Um, he wrote a fantastic book called The Attributes of God. It's one of the three resources I'm using to really uh, pull some uh, scriptures and even topics from in the sermon series. Mostly, I use it for the scriptural references because he's done a good eschatological work of these topics. But sometimes he'll say things that I think just stand out above all else. And, and he made it in this topic here. He says, God is true. His word of promise is sure. In all of his relations with his people, God is faithful. He may be safely relied upon. No one ever yet really trusted him in vain. We find this precious truth expressed almost everywhere in Scripture. For his people need to know that faithfulness is an essential part of the divine character. This is the basis of our confidence in him. Our basis of confidence in God is His faithfulness. If God was not a faithful God, we would be faithless. God is a faithful God that takes care of His people. And if we're going to pause here for just a second, how many people really want to deal with other people that are not faithful? For example, as you into a relationship with someone, a friendship with someone? How many times before a friend of yours cancels on you before you quit reaching out to do something with them? Or if you're working with someone and depending upon them to be a a co-worker, how long are you going to remain trusting in that person if they continue to balk at responsibilities and do not do what they're supposed to do? or for example how many of us would stay in our marriages or relationships if our significant other continued to cheat on us we may show mercy and grace in all of those circumstances but eventually if someone is faithless they're not faithful then we begin to lose trust in that person everything about who god is i think It's certainly around his holiness, as I expressed a few weeks ago. But the faithfulness of God is why we can trust in God. And we're going to see in just a moment some ways he demonstrates his faithfulness. But maybe, just maybe, you feel like sometimes God is not faithful. I don't have scripture for this this morning. Because I think that this is a feeling we have that I can read all the scriptures in the world and we're going to read some more where we're going to declare God's faithfulness. And I think the only way to combat understanding that God is faithful when we don't feel like he's faithful is the scripture that we're going to read together as we look at how he demonstrates his faithfulness. But let's just be honest for just a moment and say sometimes we just don't feel like God is faithful. I mean, we can use in a, in a lot of examples We could talk about the the loss of loved ones. We could talk about the loss of relationships. We could talk about the the difficult circumstances that other people have put us through. We could talk about financial struggles. We could talk about um, just difficult things. And, and, And the thing is, I know each and every one of you well. Like, there's not somebody in this room that I have not been able to build a good relationship with. And the reality to that is I know that you guys have struggles and hardships and difficulties. And oftentimes I share mine with you. You may not know all of mine as individuals, but most of you know one or two things that I have struggled with in my life. The reality is we sit in a room... A full of other people that are broken by life' circumstances, and in those midst of those circumstances, it's so easy for us to feel like God is not faithful, that God is not there, that God does not provide, that God does not care. But what I want us to see, and looking at some ways in which God has demonstrated His faithfulness, is that God certainly and certainly is He faithful. We begin <coughs> by looking at God preserving his people. And what we see in that is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. I think that one may be on your page. I'm not sure. Uh, I forgot what section it was that I skipped. Um, we're going to read that together, but I'm, I'm turning in my page because I've got two on a reference uh, that I, I don't have written down here. But the first and foremost, we see in First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The first way I think God displays his faithfulness is by giving us salvation through Christ Jesus, but he also preserves us. He maintains our salvation. He, prefer, he perseveres us. He causes us to be His and be His forever. And I think a good foundation of this is understanding the hierarchy of salvation. Is the reason in which we are saved and how we are saved. is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, through the Word of God alone, to the glory of God alone. And all of those things are centered around God because it's, this cap, this high moment, is to the glory of God alone. And if God is the one who saves us, God is the one who preserves us. And that's a great and wonderful thing because if you're anything like me, you find yourself abundantly aware and, and, and clear about your own moral failure, failures and your own struggles against sin. And if my salvation was dependent upon my perfection and keeping of the law, then I would be hopeless. But God is faithful To whom he calls. Romans 830, we're gonna read in a moment, but I want to read some progressions before you get to Romans eight thirty, looking at verse twenty-nine. Says, For whom those whom he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among the brothers. Verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And in between justification and glorification, there's this moment called life. That in Christ, we have been justified. If you have trusted in Jesus, you have been justified. And glorification is what's going to happen when you take your last breath and you're now in eternity forever with God himself. So in between justification and glorification, there's this pause here. There's this empty space. And that empty space is how many ever years you live after coming to know Jesus. But Paul does not mention another word in between those moments. Why? Because it is a sure thing that those whom God knew before the foundation of the world, that he is justified. And just as that is a sure thing, It is a sure thing. Those whom we justified, he will glorify. And we're going to look at God glorifying his people in just a moment. But God preserves his people to the end. Now you may ask, what about those people we know that seem to be on fire for God, but now seem to care less about God? Um, I can mention one name that David and I know personally very well that I'm often reminded of. And I think every one of us could think of someone And I think my argument there is very, very simple is that there are either one or two situations for those people. One, they never truly knew God or two, they're now in sin again, but prayerfully God will reveal their sin to them and they will repent of their sin and come back to Jesus. Not in salvation again, but God will, as we're about to look, discipline his people. So the way, second way, I think we see the faithfulness of God displayed. is that he disciplines his people. In 1 Corinthians eleven thirty, Paul is addressing, if you are familiar with this or not, Paul is addressing the illness that had fallen upon the people in the church of Corinth. And what he is saying here is it's because they were taking the Lord's Supper in vain. And the way they were doing it was different than the way we could do it by not repenting and all that. They, uh, they did it more as like uh, what they were to as love feasts. And what they were doing is that instead of taking communion together, that some would take it before anyone got there and they would eat up all the food and they would drink up all the wine or people would come and they would not contribute. Okay. So there's a lot of things going on there, but he says this, he says, this is why you are weak and ill and have died and some have died. Why? Because they are not taking this in a right manner. Now, I don't talk about that often because I think it's not the same context as ours. But the point being here is that God is disciplining those whom were disobeying what he has commanded them to do. Psalm 119.75 says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in steadfast you have afflicted me. His rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In God's faithfulness, he had afflicted the psalmist here. What is the psalmist trying to expose? I think it's the same thing in which the author of Hebrews, whoever it may be, exposes in chapter 12, verse 6 and on. Well, it says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline... In which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, have we not had earthly fathers who disciplined us as we respected them? Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of the Spirit and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness if we are God's children, the way in which He displays His faithfulness is by disciplining us. Now, I think there's confusion of what that can and cannot look like. But the reality is, sometimes it just looks like God allowing us to fall into our sins and then the the response, the natural response to that sin in our lives. And what I mean by that is that, for example, if someone is cheating on their taxes is certainly a sin against God, and it is a lie and all of those things. I think a natural way in which God disciplines an individual like that is even after they become repentant of their sins, they then get audited by the IRS and then have to pay back their taxes, right? Or if someone is driving drunk and they hurt someone in a way that is not good, well, there's no way that's good to hurt someone, but you know what I mean, I think a natural response is even if they are repentant of those sins, they're going to be disciplined of their sins in natural ways. But sometimes it's by causing an internal separation between us and God spiritually so that we will come back to him. God displays our faithfulness by disciplining us. And what the author of Hebrews is clear about is that if we're not disciplined by God, then we're illegitimate children. And so we have to understand that God is being faithful in correcting us and disciplining us. Why? As this author here ends, he says that we may share in His holiness. That we can be more and more like His Son. The third way I think God demonstrates His faithfulness, and certainly there's more ways, these are just some, is that by glorifying His people and I've already read this, so I'll read it one more time. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 30. It says, And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. We see that word glorified, it ends with an ED, which means past tense. And the reason why it's in past tense is because it's already happened. As in the sense that it's a sure thing, as we've already exposed, but it hasn't happened yet, right? Because we live in the already-not-yet reality of salvation. We haven't already been glorified because we're still being sanctified now. But in God's eyes, it is a sure thing. Why? Because He is sovereign. He is a God who knew, knows, and decrees that He is a God that is supreme, that He is a God that is most powerful. Because if God is going to be and do something, then it's going to occur, And if God is doing something, then we can trust in that faithfulness. God is faithful to his people, and we can trust in him. Two things. I want to come back to God is faithful even when it doesn't seem like he is. It's okay to find ourselves in moments will we question God's faithfulness? Actually, I think that there's multiple books in the Old Testament specifically that is written for us to understand that. One of those is Lamentations. One of those is Psalms. And when you read the book of Psalms, I've said this to everyone in this room probably, so it's not gonna be news, but when you read David's Psalms to be more specific, it often seems like a bipolar man wrote those scriptures because we think of him writing it in the moment, like he wrote all of it in one setting, but that's not necessarily the case. That David found himself in dark moments where he did not trust in the faithfulness of God, but as he worked through those moments, he began to understand that God was faithful. And so they begin with a God that seemed faithful, that seemed to not be faithful, and ends with a God that is faithful, why? Because David was a man writing scripture to us, But David was a man that was in the middle of his dark moments. And until he came out of the good moments, he didn't recognize God's goodness. And then for us, it's no different is we're going to find ourselves in moments where we're going to believe that God is not faithful, but that is why this is important. One, preaching through this, but two, gathering with the saints and having people pour into us and and having discipleship groups and having one-on-one discipleship and having community groups. Because oftentimes we find ourselves feeling like we're alone on an island and God is not faithful to us. But in all reality, God is faithful for all whom he calls. And if God is faithful, we need people around us to remind us of that. The second thing, sometimes we just have to remind ourselves of that too. Is that when we begin to find ourselves in a moment in life where we feel like God is not faithful, maybe, just maybe, you want to go through your Bible and highlight some of these scriptures and then write them at the front of your Bible on a page that says God is faithful. Write them underneath. And when you find yourself in those dark and difficult moments, you have a reminder of scriptures to read through to remind yourself that God is faithful. The second thing this morning is we're going to be looking at a God that is good. <clears throat> Psalms 52.1 says this. Why do you boast, O evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the, all the day. Now, we see this word steadfast love um, because oftentimes in Scripture, love and goodness is kind of equated to a very similar thing um, because it is similar. Uh, But right here, it's really just talking about the goodness of God, the steadfast love, the steadfast goodness of God, enduring all of the days. Now, a way of defining the goodness of God or the God that is good, I think is helpful is by saying that God is good. God is not only the greatest of all things, but he is the best. So God's not only holy and righteous. God is not only supreme and sovereign, but God is the best. The best individual creation, like above all of creation, that God is the best, that there's no one better than the God. There's no one uh, more good than God. I almost said gooder than God. And I correct that with my boys all the time. That all of the goodness there is in all of creation has been imparted from the creator. But God's goodness is underived from its essence of his eternal nature. Um, And I know that this makes some of you cringe in the moment. And I've referenced this some in this series. But my family and I, every night, we ask the question of, Jessica, what is it? What was your good thing today? Which is a byproduct of the book of James that tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That God is the giver of good things. That is the displaying of his goodness. There's nothing good that exists that is not from God. So first and foremost, I think a way in which God reveals his goodness is through his creation see genesis chapter 1 verse 31 says it this way it says and god saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good and there was evening and then there was morning the sixth day so after god created everything what is his response to it is that it is very good why is his creation very good because god is the creator and god is good that same AW. pink individual says it this way: He says, "All of the amenities from God, His decrees, His creatures, his laws, his providence cannot be otherwise than good, as it is written in God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. Everything that is from God is good, and everything that is good is from God." But there are some specific ways. We see the goodness of God. This is a very basic one, but let's think about food for just a moment, okay? And I know you look at me and you're like, yeah, of course, he likes to think about food. Um, but let's think about food for just a moment. Unless you're like Aaron and you just eat lunch and act like it's nothing, it's just nutrients for your body. Um, most of us enjoy eating food, but it's an ordinary thing that we do in our lives, Right? It's something that we do two to three to 12 times a day, depending on your eating habits. If you eat big meals or little meals or whatever the case may be. Um, but how many of us actually want to eat something that we absolutely hate? Like certainly, we know things are good for us. So we like we discipline ourselves and we eat things that we know are good for us. The thing about, um, I don't know if this is everybody's thing, but this is my thing, a, a good steak. I know Micah's back there going to enjoy this for a moment. A good steak, medium, well, I know you probably like yours rare, but a good baked potato with all of the fixings, whatever that may be. A good Caesar salad to go alongside it. And yes, all the Caesar sauce that makes you that salad, they're unhealthy. Uh, and enjoying the taste, right? I'm talking about one that is done well. We see God's goodness In making food for us, something that we have to do no matter what, tastes good. Psalms 145, 15, and 16, which I think is the part that's not on your pages, says, The eyes of all who look at you, and you give them their food in due seasons. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Psalms 136, 25, He who gives food to all flesh, For his steadfast love endures forever. The way that God shows his goodness is even in the smallest, most minute details. The, this A.W. Pinky gave an example, and I don't have it wrote down. This one I planned on speaking. He said, even the goodness of God is seen in the fact that when you're working the fields, now obviously he was writing it in a different genre and area and time than we have now, that, that you don't have to do it in silence, but you see, you hear the sounds of the creation around you. And I think that's something we can relate to. Maybe if you go to Noah and Molly's home, you hear chickens and if Molly would let him, maybe even a donkey and you you, you, over there, you hear the goodness of that. Or if you walk out and you live in the middle of nowhere, you may hear frogs and birds and God just created good things that declare his goodness. It's not only in his salvation we see the goodness of God, but we see it in every small area of our lives. That there's enjoyable things. See, Psalms 145 verse 9 says, The Lord is good to all, and His mercy is over all who He had made. God's not good just to those whom He predestined and called and redeemed and all those things, but God is good to all creation, that He gives them what they need to survive. God is a good God. I think the natural response to this is that we should praise God for these things. Like, let's just pause for a second and let me ask this question. It's an interactional moment just cuz my voice needs a break, okay? It's why do you pray before your meals? Why do you bless the food? I can't hear you. Why do you bless your food? If somebody said something, you're going to have to speak up. This AC back here is just killing me. Yeah, that's it, right? We don't. There's no scriptural merit where it says you have to pray before every meal. I think the background of why we do that is because at the Lord's Supper, we see Jesus blessing the food. And, but we also see in the Lord's Prayer that give us today our daily bread. So it's that moment in which we are thanking God for being a provider for us in this moment. There's nothing more, I don't think there's anything more spiritual than just recognizing that this good gift came from God. I think that if we would slow down often, we would praise God more for the good gifts he gives us. Because it's often more than just food in which he gives us, but it's the small things in life in which we can glorify him because he is a God who gives good things to all people, but specifically those who love him and obey him. The third thing we're going to look at this morning is that God is patient. (coughs) This here is my favorite of the three. But it is the shortest of the three. The, The idea to begin with is that it is most probable that many people, when you look at this topic in theological circles, many people miss this. Or they skip over this because they kind of group it in with the the love of God or the mercy of God. They kind of skip over the the patientness of God or the patience of God because they kind of group it in with the mercy of God. They kind of go hand in hand, but I think it should be a separate thing in which we should recognize this morning. Because I think that this here, understanding that God is patient, can maybe even help us understand why sometimes we don't feel like God is faithful. See Nahum one three, says the Lord is slow to anger, and great in power, and the Lord will be by no means clearly guilty. His ways is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Or Nehemiah nine seventeen says they refuse to obey were not mindful of the wonder, wonders that you performed among them but they stiffened their necks and appointed leaders to return them to slavery in egypt but they are a god ready to forgive gracious and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and do not forsake them nehemiah is referring back to the israelites in the moment in which they said moses why did you bring us out here to die we're going to go back to egypt and ask them to enslave us again God was slow to anger. Psalms 103, 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Then even Romans fifteen five. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant to you to live in such a harmony with one another in accordance of Christ Jesus. But he, he says it differently. He says that may the God of endurance and encouragement I think we can translate that to a very similar thought of the may the God of patience. A God who endures. A God who is patient in encouragement. The reason why I read all of these in one setting instead of individually is because God's patience prevails. And this is an amazing thing to me. And I'm going to start this theological concept back at Genesis 1 or Genesis 2. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> Genesis three. <clears throat> you have Adam and Eve. They're told and the the kids are walking through this now, so let's, let's do it together, right? The, the, Adam and Eve in the garden are told one law, one law alone, which is what? What Tyson? Don't eat the fruit. Anybody want to tell me what that fruit was called? From what tree? tree of knowledge, of knowledge of good and evil. One one command. One law. Don't eat that fruit. Okay? Very simple, plain instruction. And what do they do? They ate the fruit. It all got bad, right? Why didn't God just destroy Adam and Eve, make someone else a representative, and then move forward? Or let's think back to our own personal lives. When you continue to sin against a guy that has already saved you in Christ, why doesn't he just cut the light switch of your life right then and cause you to drop dead? Yeah, That's right. He huh? He does the sum, yes. But because God is patient. It it doesn't make sense. And this is why I said I think it will help us with understanding That sometimes God is faithful, even though we don't feel like it. It's why does God allow evil things to happen? It's because God is a patient God that is doing a work that we just can't understand. And sometimes, allowing wicked people to do wicked things is a judgment on us. As we saw in the life of the Israelites when he uses... Um, all of these other pagan countries to take over Israel and send them into exile. Most of the time that's not the case, but that does occur in Scripture. But sometimes God is desiring to grow us and to guide us into being people in which he is calling us to do and to be. And if God can patiently wait by and allow people to continue to sin against him, which is the greatest and most horrific thing that can happen, I think oftentimes we should sit back and realize that if God is patient, then I should be patient, that I should be merciful, and that I should be forgiving. See, I think the application for the first aspect was just simply faith in God when we're God, and understanding that he is faithful. The second, the second application was praising God for his goodness. And I think the third one is to understand that God is patient, leads us to being patient. It's not easy. It's not, it's not a, a simple thing to do in our lives, especially when people have done real wrong against us. But if God is patient to us, when we continue to sin against him and essentially spit in the face of Jesus for sacrificing his life for us, doesn't that give us the ability to be patient and to forgive and to move past things that have occurred to us? Not to ignore seeking justice and all of those things. There's certainly moments where justice has to be sought out. We see that in the just nature of God as well. But what I'm talking about is allowing ourselves to trust in God's patience just enough that we can forgive individuals so that we can move past what has occurred to us when God seemed faithless and realize that God is faithful because God is a patient God and we don't know what God is doing. If God is patient, then we should be patient. And we should be still, and we should wait on Him. That's not advice I like, because I'm not a patient person. I'm a person who wants to get stuff done, to see it happen. There's a time and there's a place for that, and often that time and that place has to happen. But sometimes we look at the attribute of God's patience, and we have to realize that I am called to be patient. I am called to be steadfast and enduring and forgiving and merciful. All three of these attributes, and I know I may lose some of you again in using big words. I've used these words a lot, so maybe you've got them by now. All three of these attributes of God Are communable attributes, meaning that he communicates and he gives to his creation. So we as people can be faithful people. We as people that have been redeemed by Jesus can be good people. And we can be people that are patient. Patient on God, but patient with others. So this morning, as we come to an end and Nick comes and leads this last song for us, Maybe all three of these things hit you, but maybe one of them did, specifically. Maybe for us, or some of us, we may be in moments where it doesn't seem like God is faithful. My prayer would be is that you would be reminded now of the faithfulness of God. Or maybe you would find yourself in a moment Was hard for you to see the goodness of God displayed in the horrific moments of life. Maybe it's a time to take a small moment and recognize the good things that God has given you. That should cause you to praise Him. Or just maybe you find yourself at a place to where you hold resentment and you hold a lack of forgiveness. Or maybe you find yourself in a moment where you want to see something happen or something change. And you have to sit back and just trust in the perfect timing of a God who is patient. That may seem like God allows the evil to go on, but God is sovereignly working through all circumstances for his glory and for our good. Father we thank you for your word. We pray that that would shape our thoughts and our minds on your faithfulness, your goodness and your patience. God, first and foremost, thank you for being a patient God. Allow me to be a patient father and a patient husband and a patient pastor that is good with waiting on your timing rather than my timing. God my prayer for each and every one of us here as we reflect on you it would cause us to look inwardly even at ourselves and ask ourselves how do we need to become more like him? God and I pray this all in your great your great and wonderful name. Amen.